Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. On today's episode, Bobby Wagner signs with the Los Angeles Rams. The overtime rules have been changed for the postseason in the NFL. We'll debate if it's good or not for the league. And then the battle in Brooklyn. Giannis versus Kevin Durant went down tonight, and it was a thriller. And of course, this is a Thursday episode, so Matt and I are going over the best defensive backs, the corners, and the safeties in this NFL draft coming here in April. Let's run the music, baby. Woo! What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Las Vegas, battling the cold. That's why we're a little late on the pod today, and I had construction outside. It's been one of those days. Matt Morris, what's up, pal? <laughs> yeah, dude, better. I uh, I've got that uh, that spring cold that we all love so much. Yeah, uh, you know, moved to Las Vegas to avoid these kinds of circumstances. But hey, I made fun of people all winter for being sick in the Midwest and on the East yep. Coast. This is what I get. Uh, the weather gets nice outside and Matt's sleeping for 36 straight hours. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, you do kind of deserve it. You were talking shit for a while. So um, not that I want you to be sick, but you it's karma, right? Karma's that, a the, bitch. W- w- yeah, what goes around comes around to say the least. So we got a loaded podcast today. So let's just jump right into it. The news of the day today, which is the last day of March when we're recording this pod, was Bobby Wagner decided to go to LA to go play with the Los Angeles Rams, allegedly per Richard Sherman, who I guess he's representing him or they're doing that together. I don't know what's going on there, but Richard said that it was between the Rams and the Ravens. So end of the day, Wagner goes to the Rams. And in my opinion, Matt, this kind of checkmates the off season for the LA teams on paper in March, I've got both LA teams going to the Super Bowl today. A lot of time left in the offseason, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, and I just think we're starting to see the super team form in the NFL, much like we yep. did the NBA. My real question here is how much does Wagner still have in the tank? And then B, what does this really look like for the Rams 2023 offseason? Um, from a financial structure perspective, you know, if Wagner can come out and be a top five middle linebacker next season, can continue to grow on his six all pro appearances in his career. This is a massive win for LA. And even if he can, it's a massive win for that locker room and leadership. I agree. But at the end of the day, you've created the super team. Like the expectations are high. And I will say this much like I did last year. It is so incredibly hard to repeat in the NFL. The Rams can continue to add these pieces, but at the end of the day, if they don't still have the same hunger they had in this past season, we will see them out of the playoffs, much like we saw the Bucks this past year. Yeah, and I agree with you. It is tough to keep the hunger, but what's nice is getting some guys that still have the hunger, right? Allen Robinson, big veteran pickup. He's never won anything. Um, Wagner, yes, he's won with Seattle. He's shown success. But it's been a while. He's been disrespected. You even said, hopefully, he has a top five year. I think he will, barring injury. And once again, the LA teams, barring any injury on paper, last day of March, they're the two favorites for me. So a lot of time, super early. They still have the same odds as the Green Bay Packers to come out of the NFC, which says a lot about the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. But a lot of ball game left. The only thing I didn't understand about this, and this is similar to the Von Miller deal. You see, it was five years, Matt. 
five years, 65, was it? Total cap? 50 guaranteed. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, I mean, they expect him to play there for at least a few seasons. Um, But again, man, they've been handing out a lot of cash. And I did find it interesting. Jalen Ramsey this week talked about his top five wide receivers. He went on to name like 11 guys in his top five. But, you know, he did add OBJ and obviously Cooper Cup into that. And I really don't think the OBJ addition was because he was just his teammate. I think what Ramsey saw in practice as well as, you know, on the playing field was that OBJ when healthy is a top five wide receiver for sure. And I think the loss of OBJ is going to be really like widely felt this season as well as woods, because if you look at cup and you look at Robinson for the most part, these are guys that play very different roles than woods and OBJ cup obviously is a slot domination, right? But I think those losses might have a big hindrance in this offense as well as some of the offensive line, um, depth that they've lost and then you still have question marks at running back so they can continue to add these pieces but in my opinion they are no better off than they were before the super bowl i think they still have to shore up some pieces and honestly again back to the odds i think green bay is in the same position but adding wagner as again hall of fame middle linebacker it's a huge the, pickup it's a massive tail, pickup. it is at the tail end of his career um it is a good replacement for losing von miller yeah, well, in a completely different position now. So now Correct. they have an elite D lineman, an elite linebacker, and an elite cornerback. There's nothing more you can really ask for um, from a leadership standpoint on a defensive side of the ball. Um, to Ramsey's comment, though, I thought it was quite an indictment on Cooper Cup, though, because he did say my one A, B, and C, the three guys that I'd consider are the number ones in the league because you have to game plan around them and for them because they are the game plan for the offense. Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel left his boy out and he was in practice in game plans with them every day. I thought that was really interesting. It's hard though, right? Because who did he have to face all season? those guys right like he had oh, to no, play I against agree. Devante and Debo and but Debo why did he not year. say cup was part of the game plan right like that yeah. the offense revolved around him like it was really interesting I thought it, it was is an interesting, interesting but I I think you have to take the context of like hey these guys these three guys beat Ramsey on a regular right. basis and he didn't really have the same opportunity on game tape on Sundays to have Cooper Cup beat him multiple times. That's a valid point. So I think from an ego perspective, he was probably like, well, yeah, Cooper is good. And he maybe he beats me in practice here or there. But like these guys on film have beaten me. So I'm going to give that second backseat to Cooper. I respect that. Which yeah. honestly, this goes in line with our conversation all season. How long have we been saying Debo Samuel is a top Dude. of the line player? You know, how long have we been saying that Tyreek Hill takes the top off defenses more so than any other player and we know how we feel about Devonte. i fully agree with what he just said same things to our comments about how tyree got paid more than Devonte. i think it's justified uh now again though going from ramsey's comments he's a guy that speaks out of context a lot because you have to as a top cornerback in the league you have to have an ego to you you cannot go out there and just <laughs> yeah this is not not how 100%. the game works so and he's the best it. corner in the league like it's yes. not that's that's not really a debate we give him a lot of shit because he's kind of a crybaby but he's definitely 1a and everyone else is looking up to him so um, well and it's I thought it's it was hard really when the other guys that can fight for that that uh that mantle get hurt right Tredavious white torn acl this season jair jair shoulder right these are the guys that are looking to surpass him in the league but yep. You can't say the same thing about Ramsey. Ramsey is out there every single season. I don't think he's missed more than two or three games in a year, even in Jacksonville. And to me, that goes right into your play of best availability is, you know, availability. 
best um, ability is your availability. Correct. And yeah, man. I mean, he he is the number one. But he did give give eleven guys to his top five for so, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that that's the league, right? Like, and there is eleven guys, and we made our top five. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe I left Jefferson off this list. Like, I yeah. I can't actually fathom that I did. But there's really amazing guys there. So. Um, with an opportunity to interchange and it's a fluid list, just like the NBA we were talking about last episode. Moving on. So we have another big change coming into the NFL this season. So what they're going to implement is for the playoffs only is an overtime change, Matt. So now instead of the first team to get the ball, if they go down, score a touchdown, they win the game, which is the current rules. Now the other team is going to get a possession. We talked about this at length after the Buffalo game. You and I were on the same page with it. Like, hey, Buffalo had 13 seconds to go ahead, defend them, not let the Chiefs tie the game. And then they could have made a stop and not given up a touchdown in, in overtime, right? Like that's part of the game. Defense is part of the game. And I think this new rule is taking defense out of it and saying that it, you know what? These elite teams, these elite quarterbacks, that's all we care about. That's all that matters. But you fast forward to the AFC championship game. Kansas City wins the toss. Twitter's losing it. Here we go. The Chiefs are going to win the game because of a toss again. And what happened, Matt? Kansas City threw an interception. The Chiefs fucked up. The Bengals made a play on defense because that's football. So now we're just going to guarantee the second possession. Um I think it's a dumb rule. I think it's unnecessary. You and me, I think, are on the same page here. I don't think the coin flip is deciding games. And you and me, with my Packer flag behind me here, should be the most jaded about this because Rodgers lost at least three playoff games off the top of my head in his prime due to this rule. Well, that's interesting. I've heard a lot of uh, griping and you know disconcern with this rule. And I actually really spent some time thinking about it. And I will say this. I'm fine with it now. You date this back seven, eight years ago when cornerbacks still had the ability to play man-to-man coverage and do do hand fighting, and this league was still a balanced offensive-defensive league. I'm okay with it, but now if you sneeze on the wide receiver, it's a 15-yard <laughs> penalty, or you know if you trip and he happens to run five more yards yards down the field and trips on his own feet, it's also a pass interference flag. The league is so skewed to the offensive side of the ball, especially in in corner coverage and also secondary coverage overall with the safeties that I think you have to allow the other team to have a fair shake because, again, it's not balanced. The defenders are at such a disadvantage going up against these wide receivers that it it is easy to march down the field like the Chiefs did against the Bills. The Bills had a pretty good defense, but mind you, again, they had some pieces that were out, and I think they were just flat-out tired. I mean, I think they had to play five defensive possessions in the last four minutes and 38 seconds. Like, think about how their legs were. Torched. And again, that goes into like make a stop earlier, do something earlier in the game. I get all of that, Offense, but take more time. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with this with the way the league is trending. At some point, the league is going to trend the opposite direction, right? We're going to start to see them allowing the cornerbacks to have more of a, a physicality to them on the field because offensive numbers are just so, through the roof and viewership is down because we're playing more of a you know pro bowl realistic happen, style, you, but. I think it has to because at some point people are going to get tired of the game. You know what I mean? Like at some point people are going to be tired of there being 15 Patrick Mahomes and everyone being just the greatest thing on earth. And whether it's five, 10 years, look at baseball. Things always do change. They always do cycle. 
But right now we're in a pass happy offense uh, and a pass happy league. And I think it's been that way for, like I said, seven, eight years. It will continue to be like that for a while. And as long as it continues like that, you're going to have to allow both teams the opportunity because, you know, how is it fair to go out there and, and really just have a guy march down the field with you? And yes, Patrick Mahomes against the Bengals did throw an interception. Partially that was on Tyreek Hill. Partially that was on his decision making. Right. Um, so it, there is opportunity for another team to make a play. But I think that is the variable change in all of this. Very rarely do we actually see the defense make a play, make an interception because the opportunity just isn't there with the way the, the league rules are set up. All right, Matt, last thing before we get into the draft series today, my friend, is we've got to talk a little bit about the NBA. We had a massive matchup again tonight. Our Milwaukee Bucks just took down the Brooklyn Nets, having a massive win going on a back-to-back, beating Philly and Brooklyn, putting them solely in second place in the Eastern Conference. It's almost April, Matt. It's playoff time. So um, what I want to talk about just really, really fast, because we do have a lot of draft series to get into, is... For the first time, and I tweeted this out on our account tonight, Matt, it's crazy to think this. It's taken me a lot to finally get to this point. But now the data, the analytics, and finally for me, you know how much this matters, Matt. The eye test shows that it's time to put Giannis as the best player in all of basketball. And it's insane for me to say that. I can't believe we've gotten to this point. But he's the best player on the planet, man. Goes back-to-back nights. First in Philadelphia, takes down Harden and Embiid, 40-burger. Goes to Brooklyn the next night, takes down KD, Kyrie, and the boys, 40-burger. With a step-back three and 90% from the free-throw line, there's nothing he can't do anymore. The confidence is at another level, and his game has evolved to the point where he knows no one on this planet can stop him. Um, It's still close, but he's finally beaten KD in my eyes, Matt. I can't believe it, bro. Yeah, I'm not ready to announce him and like anoint him number one yet. Um, I want to see this in the playoffs. And I think after just watching the highlights, this is probably the closest thing we're going to get before we hit, you know, playoff basketball. But I want to see him all excuses off the table, beat Durant and beat Kyrie. Because as we just talked about in the last podcast, I think Durant and Kyrie are top 10 for me. You know, I'd say top five, but Kyrie just hasn't played enough. Mm-hmm. Um, if Giannis can dethrone these two together in the playoffs with no excuses again, right? Kyrie right. playing a full six, seven game series. I'm ready to say that after one game, you know, every guy can have a down night. Every team can have a down night. I think uh, I saw the box score. Kyrie had 23 points tonight. That's not a bad night, but it's not a Kyrie night. You know, you had said Milton gets ejected in the fourth quarter, you know, so Giannis did have to take that final three pointer to get the Bucks into overtime. Right. Um, but the confidence I saw, you're right. The confidence is there. It is. I am going to win this game. I'm at least going to take the shot and I'm going to believe I'm going to make it. And if I miss it, I miss it. But he took that step back on <laughs> right in Drummond's face and he wet it. I mean, it was one for four on from the three point line tonight, right. but like, what a time to make your one three-pointer. So I want to see come playoff time. I can see things trending in that direction. Just not ready to put my stamp on it yet. If they beat Brooklyn in the playoffs, don't even worry about a world championship. Just beat Brooklyn in the playoffs. Absolutely. Yeah, and I respect your take. I think it's been the body of work all season. 
everything that happened last year in the NBA Finals. Um, and, and just that game, like that was the playoff atmosphere. And like I was telling you before we hopped on is that was the first time I watched Giannis and KD specifically, who are definitely the elite tier. They're one, two. And I don't think that should be much of a debate personally. Um, it was the first time I saw KD look like less of a, lesser of a player than someone else on the floor, that he didn't look like the most dominant player on the floor. And that was Giannis coming off a back-to-back after a super super hard game in Philly the night before. So we'll see. Well, man. And It'll be a great time. It'll be, I hope they play in the playoffs now. I, we need to see it. Well, and it's hard. Cause like, and I agree with you first off the back-to-backs, how many of these superstars actually play back-to-backs? You know what I mean? Like right. most superstars after playing against the Sixers would be like, eh, I'm not playing against Brooklyn or Milwaukee. Like, I don't care if they're the second best team, or whatever <laughs> they do. Right. They bitch out. Let's be honest. Um, Katie's getting a little bit older. I'm not saying he's LeBron old, right? But, Giannis is much younger. For sure. And I think we might have saw a little bit of that in the playoffs last year. I think I saw that in that shot to end regulation tonight. Katie's hairline's missing a few hairs, you know? Like he is getting does older, he still man. have the legs under him? And I again I know he's probably only like 30 years old, but dude, Giannis is literally in the primal male age. Like he could probably run four or five games in a row. I mean, you saw it last year, right? He talks about literally sacrificing possibly the rest of his career with that knee injury to right. go and win a championship while you're in the age frame. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest advantage for Giannis going into this playoffs as well. Like they just won a world title. Normally you see the regression the following year because guys are tired. Giannis, baby. I mean, he's he's young. He's rejuvenated, you know, like that could be in their benefit whereas Brooklyn had a long playoff last year as well. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we get a somewhat of a, a LeBron run from Giannis in our Bucks, right? That'd be awesome. And it just puts into perspective, even though people were like, oh, he was in the Eastern Conference, how absolutely ridiculous it was that LeBron went to eight straight finals in the this East. Like, ridiculous. just give the guy a little respect, you know, off yeah. topic, like, this is insane to do. Like, we're, I'm hoping Giannis gets us there two more Twice. times, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, this fool went eight straight years. Oh, the competition sucks. Just stop. Please stop. <laughs> All right, let's get to the draft series. All right, so Matt and I are doing the defensive backfield here in the upcoming NFL draft. So Matt and I, the the class is deep, 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 deep. So what we decided to do for our listeners, you know, this isn't a full draft breakdown show. That's not what we do, but we'd like to do this for all of you guys. so You can know who's going to come in day one, make an impact. So we are actually going to go over eight guys, three safeties and um, five cornerbacks that are going to be taken in either the first or early second round here in this upcoming NFL draft. These are guys that you're going to see on the field day one in the NFL, potential Pro Bowl players. Um, I think out of these eight guys, like I think we can legitimately see probably three Pro Bowlers if they obviously play up to the potential and what we're going to talk about here. So we wanted to dive into these guys. We thought it was going to be the best for us as well as for you as the listener to know like, hey, if my team drafts one of these guys, you definitely need to get excited matt this is one of the best db classes i've seen in a while like we had a good one last year i definitely think this one's better what do you think 
Yeah, I mean, you said maybe three of these guys make Pro Bowls. I think realistically we could have seven of these guys make Pro Bowls. It's insane. Um, you know, depending on do they hit the ceiling, do they get drafted to the right scheme, you know, like you look at Jamal Adams out there in Seattle. I personally don't think they're utilizing him to his strengths. You know, kind of more so this last season they were more, but especially when he got right over there, he's an in-the-box rush safety that creates mismatches at the line of scrimmage. That's what he needs to be. We have a couple guys that are going to be very similar to that. You put these guys in coverage, you know, 75% of the game, that's not what they're good at. They're not going to look like superstars. So again, it goes back to, are they getting the right scheme fits? But I think all, but maybe one of these guys, in my opinion, doesn't have the ceiling of pro bowl. And to me, that's Daxton Hill. We'll probably disagree on that a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Uh, We'll get to him. Yeah, no, I, I could see it, but we'll, we'll get there. Let's start with the cornerbacks, though. These guys are the cream of the crop. I, I truly believe all five of these guys have Pro Bowl potential, like straight up. Um, I, I truly believe in two of them, like hardcore, uh, how we felt about uh, Sertan last year at J.C. Horn. Like, I see that same thing from two of these guys, and we're going to jump right into it uh, with the first one which is Derek Stingley Jr. He's out of LSU. So awesome, awesome college to go in. Um, If you're on TikTok, the past couple of weeks, I've seen a ton of videos of him in practice against Jamar Chase. They're really hyping him up. Um, end of the day, his, his film is unbelievable. The only con I have for him is he was a little handsy and got a bunch of pass interference calls on him, which is an issue, but I think that stuff can be coached out. And honestly, at the pro level, like, you don't really hate to see that because that just means you're a physical corner. And, you know, once you start getting a little bit of a reputation in the league, um, that's not going to be a bad thing. Uh, pros, though, started at LSU as a freshman. He's amazing at the line of scrimmage when it comes to bump and run coverage. Um, I think he might be the fastest and most athletic out of the group. There's one other guy I think is really close to him. And he's just your full blown uh, Daryl Revis lockdown island corner, man. And so if you're a team that runs a man scheme that you can stick someone on an island, this is that guy. Um, the hype is absolutely real on this kid. He's he's going top 10, 100%. Yeah, you said Revis. I'm going to say perfect comp is Antonio Cromartie. A little shorter. Um, a little shorter. Like yeah. His prime when he was locked down, dirty. I mean, dirty. You threw basically everything out there that I was going to just from a, a physical cons and pros. Uh, but I've got some really cool numbers for you. Hell yeah. Uh, so in the 2020 season, basically the season he was most healthy. Uh, again, Chase was there. You know, it was the big time LSU champions. One through nine in terms of yardage uh, and pass attempts against Stingley. He was, they were nine for 12 against him. So not good numbers. Again, that's basically no. slants. That's digs. Uh, that's looking to take advantage of of ultimately timing mismatches against the cornerback. If there's a really good cornerback, you're going to hit him within 10 yards because that's really the only shot you have at beating him. And the rest of these numbers are going to showcase that. 10 yards through 19 yards of uh, down air pass attempts. Uh, quarterbacks were 3 for 12 against uh, Stingley. <laughs> this gets even better. 20 plus yards, 2 for 8. Basically, if you don't hit him within 10 yards, it ain't happening. Um, and that's lockdown cornerback. That's that's what those guys do. Like right. if you see Ramsey uh, for the Rams this past season, even you watch him over the last couple of years, what teams really try to do is get him in uh, mismatches at the line in a slant. And yes, it works. 
But what are you supposed to do as a, as a quarterback? We literally were talking earlier about how the game doesn't benefit the defender. And right. for these guys to be able to lock you down after 10 yards, that just goes to show you, you might as well not even try to throw it against that side of the field. So that was the biggest numbers that I really loved and absolutely like yeah, showed me cool. that he's going to be a guy after 10 yards. Don't even worry about safety help <laughs> because his body's there to take care of it. And again, 6'1", 190. He's got the size, got the length. For um, sure. You said it started as a freshman. I love that. Third generation talent as well. His grandfather was a first round pick. Uh, his father was a practice squad player as well. So I, th I think when you talk about NFL uh, being a generational sport, we see that kind of less and less, except for the McCaffreys, you know, except for the Mannings. Like Stingley's going to join that class, and I think he's going to be fantastic. He'll join Sertan as well with Patrick Sertan. JC Horn, too. JC Horn. Uh, but I like that from the corner position because, you know, if they have family members that were in the game, there's some tricks and traits that they can be immediately passed down that will amplify their first year ability. Yeah, 100 percent. And like our guy, Sante Samuel Jr. last year was oh, yeah. a little bit of a later round pick, but we were high on him for that same reason. And he ended up having a really, really solid uh, season out there for the L.A. Chargers. The next guy on the list, this is actually my number one. So I call me crazy. I, I like him more. And, and this is this is you know, pulling teeth here, bro. Like once again, these guys are elite, elite. Uh, our boy, uh, uh Ahmad sauce, sauce Gardner, dude, <laughs> fucking legend. Didn't give up a touchdown in college. Yes. He played at Cincinnati. I don't care. That's unbelievable, dude. Six, three, 200 pounds. The sickest highlight tape you will see on the internet too. Like him, him and the next guy, Booth Jr., hard ass highlight tapes, bro. Really, really good. Um, same thing, you know, he's got he, he's a lockdown quarter, never allowed a touchdown in college. Uh, 14 yards on four targets against Alabama. I really dove into his tape for the Alabama game specifically because when I saw the first stuff at, at first, right, like all the stats, sauce, like all the stuff, I was like, all right. Let me see him against some real teams. Pulled up the Notre Dame. Definitely pulled up the Alabama. He held his own out there with Jamison Williams and the boys in Alabama. He looked great. Once again, 14 yards, four targets. Um, I'm a big fan of his size. That's why I put him at the number one. I think he is the perfect prototypical uh, cornerback as far as size is concerned. He's a great tackler, good in man and zone coverage. His only con and the reason I think he's behind um, Stingley, but I've seen him go up in some mock drafts before Stingley, uh, is his speed isn't top end elite. That has that happens when you're 6'3", 200, right? Of course, he's not going to have that same twitch as a guy's a little smaller than him. Um, I personally don't find that extremely alarming. That's the only thing I had as far as a con for him. Sauce, baby. Love him. Yeah, and um, this was the same things that I heard in kind of cons as well. He ended up going out and running a four four one. I think that in itself okay. is going to put a lot of GM and less scouts at ease to just to be able to say, ah, oh, well, okay, like he's not that bad, you know. And when in reality, 100%. he's a taller guy. He's a more physical corner. But the number one note that I have here is just straight swag. You know, this guy yeah. has the <laughs> yeah. he has the ego that we were talking about earlier with Jalen Ramsey. You yeah. need that you from love the number to see one it. corner. You got to have a guy that's going to say, I've got my hit list of wide receivers that I'm going to take out this season. I don't remember what cornerback it was, but there was a cornerback years ago that literally had a hit list of wide receivers he was going to shut down. That's the kind of swag I want to see from my number one first round corner. Now, I will say this. I think Stingley, maybe athletically, might have a uh, an edge up competition wise, probably in his conference. But you said it when he played against Alabama, this being, you know, um, sauce, 
he did go up against our boy, Jamison Williams. And that was a huge matchup, huge opportunity for him to showcase his skill set. I do think we have a 1A, 1B cornerback position here with Stingley and Sauce Garner. Um, I, I don't know who I'd rather take. Swag and Sauce, like, they, he just seems like a guy that I really want. Really depends on your skill set. Uh, both great man-to-man corners. But you said it. Didn't allow a single touchdown. Those are the That's kind of nuts. things that kind of feed into his competitiveness, I feel like, right? And like you talk about Ramsey and how you see Ramsey in the national media these days. I'm sure he has those same things in his mind. I don't want to allow Adams to score a touchdown. I'm torn. I I think both of these guys are fantastic. I think they're both worthy of a top 10 pick overall. Um, But man, Gardner is Gardner's size is special and his confidence is special. A hundred percent. And he's, he's a solid tackler. I really, I watched this cool video. Some guy, I wish I'd give him a shout out. I forget the name of his YouTube page. Um, we put together like a full, like tackling video on him too. And I was actually really impressed with his blitzing off the corner. Um, his tackling in the backfield one-on-one had a couple one-on-ones in the Alabama game. Um, both guys are a stud. I, I personally, the size and the swag for me is what gives me, you know, sauce a little bit over. But once again, it's it's personal preference. Well, we, when you we see these guys go off the board, we're going to be hyped for those hyped, teams, and we're going to yeah. be looking at them all season. 100%. The only uh, the only con I had for sauce was uh, zone experience, and honestly, when you're that good at man to man. They don't yeah, put you don't in draft zone. You. Don't draft you. Yeah, don't draft. Well, you know what I mean? Like Cincinnati, zone. what are you doing putting him in zone coverage? He he locks down an entire side of the field. Like, are you stupid? Right? So I don't really care too much about that. I, I do think it could be something that's important in the pro level. Sure. To the point that we've argued, you can run a single man side while creating a zone cover formation on the rest of the field. So if he's as good as they say he is, and we think he is, you don't have to worry about it at the pro level. No, not at all. Um, next guy, I think this is the biggest wild card. Bo- this is the boomer bust of the group is uh, Andrew Booth Jr., mm-hmm. Clemson. Um, I don't know if you did end up seeing the highlight, Matt. I forgot to send it to you while you were at work. But, dude, this is the guy who could literally levitate. Like, he is so <laughs> athletic. And he can jump, and his hang time is ridiculous. This guy is like the Odell Beckham of cornerbacks like he is the one and it's not like a disrespectful i try to catch everything one-handed he has this move it's like his signature you could see it on tape matt he like goes and he's running 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 right and the ball comes and he flips his hips pops open and throws up one hand and either intercepts it it happened multiple times or bats the ball away like obviously a really good pass breakup um he has he he has the most elite hands out of this group here, as far as intercepting the ball is concerned, hundred percent, no doubt about that. Um, but he, um, th- that's the thing. He's a high risk, high reward guy. He is your vintage. I'm gonna jump this. He's he's Marcus Peters. I'm gonna jump this route and take it to the fucking crib, or I'm gonna maybe get burned. Right? There was a good amount of tape of him getting <laughs> getting cooked on a couple double moves and getting a little greedy, but. I, I don't necessarily hate that. That goes back to what you're saying about sauce when it comes to the swag, man. Like you're trying to make a play and someone's got to go out there and make a play. And 70% of the time from film and from his raw numbers via PFF and the NFL.com um, website, like he wasn't getting buried. He's the third corner on here for a reason. Uh, Andrew Booth Jr. Very, very good player. Uh, maybe just needs to work on that discipline a little bit, but that's not a, I, I don't hate that as a con. So let me just read what I have for Booth because everything I wrote down actually correlates perfectly with what you have. And we watched, again, for the listeners, 
Uh, we no, do independent like, research no here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we do not watch the same videos whatsoever. We're not very organized with this, but we actually I am pretty proud of our takes here. Uh, so for Andrew Booth Jr., I have strengths, uh, agility, twitch. I mean, his footwork is incredible. Uh, elite ball judgment. And that kind of goes to your levitation comments, like his ability to know when exactly to turn his body, how to move his body to put him in the best position for the ball is absolutely elite. Again, body control. I have him as a zone hawk, a guy that's going to play zone and, and know exactly where he needs to be kind of really relying on that uh, that ability to utilize his hands and his footwork to yep. ultimately intercept the football. Some weaknesses I have must improve man coverage. Uh, this is something I think we're going to see in the NFL. You and I kind of yep. talked about it. You know, the Giants had a kid they took back in 2019 that was good at zone. They played him in man all season and he got torched. You cannot take advantage of these kids, you know, work them in slowly. Um, overzealous at times. Sometimes he's a little too aggressive and uh, he overreacts at a few times to jumping routes, especially in that zone coverage. But these are things that I want to see from a, a first round, you know, early second round corner, a guy that wants the ball in his hands. And if you've got body control by second, third year, you're going to be an elite level cornerback. Yeah, dude, 100%. Um, love this kid. I definitely think he, in the right scheme, 100%, you're right there with the man. Like, that's his thing. Um, he's not a premier man-to-man guy, um, but the athleticism, I'm telling you, his booth and um, sauce, the, their fucking highlight tapes you, are electric, dude. Could you imagine if the Eagles get two of these kids? I know, like it would be amazing. Oh my yeah. gosh. They're going to take sick. a receiver though. Yeah, sure. I mean they are, but three yeah. Oh, but I just could Can you imagine these two kids on the same team in 3 years? Like It'd be sick, yeah. And and what would be really good about a guy like Booth is he'd go to play with Darius Slay, who's one of the most elite man-to-man mm-hmm. corners in all of football to help him out too, right? Or yeah. you go get Sauce, right? Or you get this next kid we're going to talk about here, Trent McDuffie, a little yeah. undersized, but an elite man-to-man guy. 5'11", 195 for Trent McDuffie. That's literally, I think that is the only reason why he's number four. That and his interception numbers are really, really low, which then leads into the first con is, you know, his hands are average. I didn't see anything that was like, God, this guy has stone hands. You know, we've got no tart out there for San Francisco. Just kidding. That was fucked up. But um, <laughs> um, but he doesn't have a ton of interceptions. He's a little undersized. Five, it's funny, though. 5'11 is an inch shorter than six feet. You know, like it's not like that much different. Um, and but it is. All- it's crazy. It is, it is. though. Like yeah, I it know, isn't. I know. But it is. Reality size weird. matter. Yeah, I know. It's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> <The> size matter. <laughs> and then um, the last thing, kind of uh, for him, is his tackling isn't very great either. Once again, he he does look smaller on tape. So I'm sure he isn't five eleven. That's just the classic. When I was in high school, I tell this story on the pod all the time. I was six two in the book. I say all the time, I'm six foot on a good day, baby, you know, like in real life. So it, it is what it is. Um, But this kid, McDuffie, elite man-to-man coverage guy, 100%. Um, He is the definition I put after watching the tape. He's the definition of a lockdown corner, fantastic in man. Um, And I put down here as well, I think he might have the best coverage skills out of the entire group. The thing is, he did get bodied a few times. Um, on the tape as far as like his cons like it just he looks small plays small I would think and I didn't get his combine numbers I would think he's somewhere at the high five nine five ten range because he does look small out there on tape but I like this kid like I said the Eagles if they can come on McDuffie at uh, 19 or wherever the hell they're at I think that's a huge win 
Yeah, so I fully agree with everything you said. I, I do think he probably comes in a little bit lower than that 5'11". Um, and honestly, it, it really doesn't matter if you surround him with the right secondary core. I would absolutely love to see McDuffie play a slot position this season. You know, rookie season, get him out there, kind of like Eric Stokes, who was you know put on the boundary last season but should have been on the inside for his rookie season because of his speed. McDuffie being so physical. That's my first, first uh, strength I have for him yep. is extreme physical corner. Um, the big thing that I saw on tape and that the guys, uh, a couple of the videos that I watched from McDuffie said, he is step-by-step step with wide receivers. I think that in itself is a trait that only elite level corners have. It doesn't matter if you're outsized. It doesn't matter if you're out physicality. It doesn't matter if you know if you don't have the ability to intercept the ball at all times. But if you can stay with your man, you're a pro level player and you're a star. Thousand percent. Because that gives your team always the opportunity for a knockdown deflection interception or for safety help over the top to take away a ball. But it also puts fear in the quarterback's mind hey, maybe I'm not going to throw over there when I need to. That in itself is a starter trait off the bat. I absolutely love that about him. Um, you said it, man-to-man, elite. Might be the best in the draft class just because of his height and his intangibles. May not get drafted as high as some of our boys that we just talked about. And hard-hitting. May not be a fantastic tackler, but if he gets an opportunity to take a shot on you, he's taking it. And I like that. Um, it could lead to some shoulder injuries. We've seen that with a few <laughs> of our Packers themselves. But honestly, I, I'll take guys that crack. Um, some of the weaknesses I have height, you know, what are you gonna do about that? All you can do is go out there and work uh, and must improve his ball skills. You said it hands are a little weak, but in terms of overall prospect, this probably last year is a number one corner. It's going to be a number one corner this year. And a biggest comp, and we talked about this off the air as much as we don't like doing comps, um, Byron Murphy for the Cardinals, ironically the same school. Um, Murphy took a few years to actually adapt to the pro level. I also think that was because the Cardinals were the team that drafted him and their development skills aren't the greatest. But Trent McDuffie, I think out of the gate, if he goes to a contender, you know, I really like the Patriots for this player. Uh, could be, you know, year two. We're talking possibly Pro Bowl, possibly in conversation for all pro level ability. Hundred percent, love the comp. I think I think he's great. Last guy for the cornerbacks in this group here is Roger McC- McCreary. Excuse me, five eleven, a buck ninety. Um, another guy that you got to pull up in Alabama tape, right? Like I think that's the best thing you can possibly do is pull up elite level tape LSU Alabama for guys like McCreary and Sauce, right? Um, this guy, what I got out of him is the reason he's down is he did get cooked a little bit in the Alabama game, but it was in the second half and it happened to be by John Mechie too. So Mm. it was funny because he was getting beat, um, off the line of scrimmage for slants. And then Mechie would kind of, he kind of schooled him, but and I saw, so I was like, why, why is this the case? Right. I was like, he's getting kind of schooled. He's getting burned. But then I took it a little bit deeper and realized that. This is the most physical, probably best bump and run guy out of the group. Mm-hmm. So his biggest thing is he'll fuck you up at the line of scrimmage. And that actually made me feel a little bad about my take on Mechie. Like we were a little nervous about him for um, as far as health is concerned. He clearly knows how to get off the line of scrimmage. But then you look at him against a guy like Jameson Williams who struggles, bodied him. And a guy's on Florida, bodied him. And LSU, bodied him. And I was like, whoa. This guy's really, really, really good at the line of scrimmage when he gets his press coverage up there. So um, has all the other stuff, right? Super athletic, knows how to play the slot, which is something that's really good as well. But I think that's the number one thing to take away from Roger McCreary. If you're rooting for a team that is a man-to-man 
press heavy team. There's not too many out there, but there is some. Um, I bet you you guys draft him in the first round and he's going to sit down in the number one or number two corner spot and lock a motherfucker up for sure. Unless it's a quick twitchy guy like that in the slot. That was the only guy I saw really mess. Mechie messed him up pretty good. I just want to give ourselves a shout out here real quick. Again, we are not uh, collaborating on this. And <laughs> everything you just said, I have written down in front of me. Um, I just want to touch on Meshi mes- mes- real quick. Excuse me. These are some things that I was like hearing and listening to when I was doing my draft evaluation of Mechi. And you look at his size. He dominates people at the line at, at times. And it's incredible. It's impressive. Because we talked about like, damn, our concerns are his size. It must be his ability to create leverage at the line because for Roger here, I have him as a three-year starter, amazing footwork. He's jammy. He is a press corner. Matt, you said it. Uh, great ball skills down the field, especially at the line to break up passes, to do pass deflections. Um, great physicality, again, at the line. Man-to-man beast, one through nine. That's one yep. yards through nine yards. His ability to lock down any wide receiver. Uh, I have him as... Going to the uh, highest point of the ball as well, you know, at 5'11", he's not a tall cornerback, but he is a, he has the ability to elevate and levitate himself into the air to really knock down balls. His vision is incredible. His ability to know opponents, you know, he was playing in a very, very hard conference, and I think other than Meshi, you know, kind of really taking advantage of him, him at times, he did know his opponents. He put in, from what I saw, the ability on tape to understand what kind of routes his opponents were going to be running that put him in a position to be so physical at the line. Only weakness that I saw from him was his aggressiveness. And when you're a guy that plays that press position, uh, press forward, you got to be aggressive. Because if you're not aggressive, that guy's blowing past you. You got to get your hands up. You got to jam. I said, I think you said it perfectly, Matt. I, I think if you draft a guy to be in a press zone coverage or even a press man, this is your guy. He's going yep. to be physical. You better have good safeties, though. You know, especially year one, you got to have guys behind him that when he does get burned, because he will, especially year one, have his back and kind of kind of take away some of those mistakes in that learning curve that he's going to have. Dude, a thousand percent. I, I totally agree. But end of the day, we're talking the number one receiver in the class, top three, whatever. Jamison Williams, he bodied him up. I I personally thought he looked better than Williams in the tape against Alabama this year in the Iron Bowl. So it is what it is. Williams ends up getting ejected out of that game, but whatever. Um, I I like this kid. I like all five of these guys. Very, very, very good players. Look out for them in the draft. So let me ask you then. We've got all five of these guys, right? Let's take away the top four, uh, top three, right? Uh, If you were to take Eric Stokes and pair him up against Roger McCreary here or our boy, uh, who's our other guy here? McDuffie. McDuffie. Would you rather have Stokes or either of these? So other two I would guys? rather have Stokes because Stokes is six one. Like that's the mm. thing, you know. Like that okay. Stokes is little bit of of advantage, right? And then okay. obviously, like that's a that's a tough question because a I'm biased. B I just saw something today. PFF put out the best man to man coverage corners in the league of grades, um, and it was I forget it was number one, but Stokes and Douglas were two three for the Packers. So I mean, like. Stokes had a, I mean, Stokes had a career year as a rookie. So, I mean, that's, that's a tough question. I'd take Stokes over all of them at this point. Cause well, he literally showed signs that he can be a, a legitimate number one cornerback. Like the Packers secondary I mean, might be the best in the league next year. The speed too, though, right? That's like the thing. Stokes He's a burner. 
he got drafted for the, I, I think honestly his freshman season at Georgia, his sophomore season at Georgia were great, but it was that four three speed where you could just tell nobody's beating him. And honestly, all these guys are really fast as well. Gardner has a little bit of concern, and so does Stingley. Have a like you know they're not the soup, they're not ninety nine speeds in Madden, but uh, none of these guys have Eric Stokes speed. They just don't. Correct. They're fast. But I think Eric Stokes' speed is kind of one of those things the Raiders used to draft, right? When a guy is just faster than everybody else, screw it. Throw him on, throw him on the team. And Stokes well, and that was Stokes' big thing coming out of college last year, though, too, is he got burned a lot. Like, he, mm-hmm. he got greedy. He was undisciplined. And it's like, shit, it took him a half a season to really get it dialed in. And, I mean, the kid was unbelievable all season. Yep, he can't, can't catch shit still, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's why he's a DB, though, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, so going into the safeties, Matt, I'm going to let you drive. Let's get after it. Yeah, hell yeah. We're going to start actually with our third-rated safety here. Uh, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State really reminds me a lot of Jamal Adams out there in in Seattle, uh, formerly of the Jets. Big boy. uh, Has the ability to ultimately play in the box, which is what you're looking for from that strong safety position. Uh, Very, very hard hitter. And if you see him on tape, he's got the wristbands all over the arms, you know, just like Adams. You know, you got to love it. Uh, physical pass defender, though. What you're going to be looking for here is a team to draft him to play in that box formation. You know, Matt, you and I kind of talked about this off the air. If you're going to draft a safety to be in coverage, you better make sure in college that he was a coverage first safety. All three of these guys, for the most part, are going to be physical first safeties. They're going to give you that opportunity to kind of switch in and out from the linebacker position. And Briskner is kind of the same way with that. He's attacking the running game. That's the big thing I saw on tape especially playing in the Big Ten where there's a run-heavy offense almost every single weekend. He's in the box. He's in the backfield. He's taking big shots on the running backs. But more importantly, when I saw him, he would take a shot and he would immediately wrap up at the waist and he would slide down. So he's making that guaranteed tackle. That's something you absolutely look for in your safety position is always making the tackle. So I think, if again, if you're an offense, uh, if you're a defense looking for a guy in the box, this is definitely your man. Now, all three of these guys are going to be players that you kind of more or less want in the box. But uh, Brisker, more than anything, I saw a hard hitter, probably the, the hardest hitter out of all these guys, uh, and only six foot. So you're not looking at a guy much like Hamilton that we're going to talk about in a little bit here who's 6'4". He utilizes that size and gets leverage pretty well. Yeah, I put here he's a heat-seeking missile is what <laughs> yep. I put. He's a, he's scary. Uh, <laughs> like Some of his tapes, some of his hits are for sure um, a, a bit scary, but yeah. And then going into like, I had the same pros as you going into the cons though, is it is the coverage, man. Like, mm-hmm. um, you saw him line up in the slot. I saw a couple good things. I saw a couple bad things. Saw him getting turned around. Um, you know, saw him not be able to handle a couple of the slot receivers in some of their big 10 games, which is obviously a bit of a concern, but like you said, right system, right place, right? Like keep the guy in the zone, keep him in that more, um, Rover middle linebacker slash strong safety role, and he'll be completely fine. I, I put the same thing as you. I think he is the best tackler out of these three, including Hamilton, but it's just because he's literally a freaking rocket. He literally looks like he shot out of a cannon, and I think that's something that you have to take as valuable because um, depending on where he goes, right, you would think he's going to go into a into a team that plays a lot of run heavy teams teams that are you know playing like a derrick henry or something right um he's definitely that guy that you're going to want at the line of scrimmage and that guy that is going to make an immediate impact defensively for your team 
at a physicality standpoint. So I actually, I'm really high on him. I, I agree with you. I do like him a little. Yeah, I know he's third on CBS here. I might put him a little bit over the next guy. We're going to go here in a second. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I love him at Houston here, early second round. I think, you know, having to play against nice. Derrick Henry, having to play against James Robinson and Travis Etienne, I think Houston has got to get a guy JT. that has that ability. Yeah, absolutely, right? Taylor as well. You got to get a guy that's going to crack these guys and make every single rush hurt. Uh, and I think Houston needs to start to build kind of that toughness. But you're right. There's a difference between heat sinking missile and then what Abrams is for the Raiders. Abrams hits hard and he cracks, but he doesn't have that top end speed or acceleration to really right. get to the ball carrier quickly. That's the difference with uh, Briskner here. I think the speed and the acceleration are also attributes that I like. More so over than uh, Daxton Hill from Michigan. That's our next guy here. Daxton, six foot, 191. I watched a good amount of tape on Daxton, and I didn't love him. But what I liked about him over Briskner was the simple fact that he can play the slot, right? You kind of talked Correct. about it with Briskner. Gets turned around a little bit. His hips don't always know which leverage position to play a defender on the field. Hill actually has the ability to run with a guy and flip his hips, usually to the right leverage position. And I really like that. No matter the size, you know, he might be a little undersized for the position, but there's versatility there. And when you're drafting a guy in the secondary, usually second round, you want to be able to mix and match where you place him. Uh, so I have him as small, but plays up. When you see him on tape, he does look little, but for whatever That's reason, That's a great way able, to put it. Yeah, he plays up. And like some of the running backs that we've seen, right? Like they are small, but for whatever reason, like their legs keep turning, they keep pushing downfield and they just play above their body size. I think Daxon plays above his frame. Uh, that mix and match ability, as I talked about, and then quick hips. Again, this kid can flip it and he can run in that slot position. I highly doubt he's utilized in the, the slot corner position in the pro level, but I would say in zone coverages, he's going to be utilized more in the middle of the field and allowed to play in the box where he can have that coverage upside. Yeah, no spot on there. Um, yeah, size is a little bit of a concern for Mr. Hill out of Michigan. But one of the things that I noticed from watching a ton of Michigan games once to go to the Big Ten Championship, uh, my girlfriend's a huge Michigan fan, is I, he's just a full-blown playmaker. Um, if you turn on the Ohio State game at the Big House, he was the most impactful person on the field when it came to them being on defense, always around the ball, always making a play. When you need someone to make that stop, that tackle, that pass breakup, it just always seemed like it was him. It was always him on the field, and he was a magnet to the ball is kind of what I put it throughout his um, tape and just from just personal observation watching a ton of Michigan this year. Um, that's something that he, that's that kind of like that it factor, right? Like there's some guys that know how to make those plays and be in the right position at the right time. Um, that's Hill. I also think that the slot ability is also going to be the reason he gets drafted um, above our gentleman from Penn State because like, that's super valuable because now that means, yeah, you can guard the slot, but that means you can start guarding guys out of the backfield too. Like That's something that was really interesting about all three of these guys that we're talking about here today on the episode is none of them are really like an elite level safety like that. Like A lot of them don't cover very well but they do everything else incredibly well. So I think out of the three, his covering skills are what's jumping him up into the mid first round. Um, and I think at the end of the day, he's just a cold blooded playmaker and you need playmakers on your team. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I, I think, you know, you draft a guy that has that awareness and that kind of brings us to our next guy in Kyle, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame freak. Uh, Hamilton has been for the last two seasons projected as the number one safety position, if not the number one player like he is this season off the board. He is falling a little bit. You and I kind of talked about this before we jumped on right. because of his 40 time. 
Um, and I just want to bring up a couple notes for Hamilton. He was a three-star recruit coming into Notre Dame that usually translates to a player that doesn't have all the intangibles you're looking for come draft season. You know, three-star recruits very rarely have the four-three speed, you know, the high vertical jump. But when I watched Hamilton's tape, what I really saw was the awareness, the understanding of the offense that he was playing against, and that sideline to sideline. Um, ability to speed up his own body because of his football IQ and simply because his hips were fluid. Uh, when you look at Hamilton on tape, you know, he's making that pre notion judgment before the snap of where do I need to be? Where is the formation lining up? I'm going to be there before my blockers are there because I'm just smarter than you. And that's what you really want out of the safety. Yeah. A guy that understands and has full play recognition of what is coming to him. I think he ran a four seven, I think is what we talked about. And yeah. yes, that is not something that I love to hear, but he's six four, right? You're talking about a mismatched nightmare about a guy that has to play Mark Andrews and George Kittle. Those are the type of players he's going to have to go up against. He's six, four. Nobody's having it winning a jump ball against him without a contested, at least opportunity from the defense. I think you look at the speed and you say to yourself, okay, he's going to take away the middle of the field and he's going to take away the box. Those are two huge pieces that honestly, I'm not too worried about the defense over the top being taken away because his intelligence is going to allow him to be in a position to take advantage of that. I'd say the only concern I have from him is the fact that he was a, a, a three-star recruit. You know, does that ultimately impact him from an athletic ability? I would say the six-four frame overall neutralizes that altogether for me. A hundred percent, dude. And I mean, you just pull up the tape, dude. The the first game against Florida State last year, the interception he makes running three quarters of the field over to the opposite sideline catching the ball in front of the receiver goes to exactly what you just said. I get it's just one play, but that one play speaks volumes to his intelligence and his athletic ability. You know what? Sometimes guys just don't test well. The four seven's bad. Like let's let's call a spade a spade here, right? It's not good. But dude, you pull on the tape and he's easily the most intelligent, easily the best safety on the board. I think he's still going to go top five when all the dust settles here. Cause when you turn on his highlights, when you turn on his low lights, like he's still the best player on the field. And like you said, he's six, four dude. That's so valuable. He is the modern cam chancellor, right? He hits hard as a motherfucker. He can play against those tight ends. Like you said, and he is a ball hawk. Like he has soft hands. He's got way better hands than Chancellor. Chancellor had solid hands, but not elite level hands. This kid is making legitimate interceptions. If you have a problem about his athleticism, go pull up the Florida State highlights. Go look at his second interception of the game. He literally runs from the 20 yard marks from the left side of the field all the way to the right side of the field, makes a diving catch. It's it, it's one of the most athletic plays you'll ever see. Was the throw great? No, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm not worried about the 40 time. In coverage, he was... I saw I, some guy broke down a film of his bad coverage, and it, it, he gets turned around a decent amount, but don't put him out in an island in a slot receiver, right? Like, that's just not his game. You Like you said, you said it perfectly. You put him up against Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, some of these big body tight ends, right? I think he fares pretty well. And I think he definitely is deserving of a top five, top 10 pick. This kid, he's the truth. Like, I, I wouldn't pass on this kid if I had a safety as my need. Well, and the last thing I'll say is the more teams that pass on him at the top of the draft, you know, you kind of set it number one off the board and uh, mock drafts in terms of uh, pure ability, possibly going now to 11th, 12th position. This, this is, is your Micah Parsons deal. Absolutely. Absolute steal. Like just because the, the 40 time isn't there. And I said it to you before we jumped on. 
four seven to me sounds like an injury. You know, pulled hamstring. You know, possibly a bad. Or ankle. the dude just had a bad forty. Like yeah, shit happens. Right. You know, like there's not a he's not a track star. He's a football four, player. Four seven though on, on tape, you don't see it, right? I, mean, no. I can see four five, four five five, even four maybe, six maybe on a really a four, bad six, day. But yeah, like, but he just he doesn't look like that when you're watching. No, the game. Four, you're not seeing you know a, a, an impairment on the field of speed, and that's what <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Impairment, a guy that's yeah, like, sure. damn, he he can't get there. No, he's he's more than fine. His his an intellectual level is always going to make up for that speed, and that's the big thing, right? I'm drafting intelligence and I'm drafting like athleticism at the same time. He he pairs up, you know, hand in hand. Perfect. Well, everybody, you have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next Tuesday with some more updates, stories, topics, and the newest takes in sports media. Follow us on uh, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at PitcherBetPod. See you guys next week. Cheers. <laughs>